Welcome to the Better Business Podcast, a series for those business owner operators who want to create a better business. Here are your hosts, Chris and Mark. Welcome to the Better Business Podcast, episode 21. It's our officially our 21st birthday today. Joining me as normal from our Sydney studio, Mark Eggleston, Chris Pesamenti with you again from Melbourne. And again, we're going to welcome the wonderful Roz Tasker, who joined us last week for our podcast on mindsets and living an abundant lifestyle. So welcome, Mark, and welcome, Roz. Thank you, Pez. Glad to be here, guys. Yeah, good to uh, be here, Pez. Yes. Yes, thanks. Thanks, mate. Um, Got to say, before we kick off, a really enjoyable chat we had last time. And also to listeners out there, we've got a a book recommendation that we're just going to, Roz is going to take you through in a second, um, just to close a bit of a loop from last week. And also, just to encourage people up front, hit us up on our Facebook page, The Better Business Podcast. Hit us up on our podcast hosting pages, either at Podbean or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or iTunes or anywhere else that you look for it. And I understand that because there has been some legacy podcasts called the Better Business Podcast around the traps, it's easiest if you type a search for the Better Business Podcast and then either Chris or Mark. It use one of our names because they're tagged in the podcast title, then that way our one will pop up straight away. So there you go. There's a bit of housekeeping for you. Hit us up on Facebook or on, on our podcast hosting pages. And before we kick into it, Roz, do you just want to close the loop on the book recommendation? Because you've had a bit of a, a rethink. I have, Pez. Thank you. So the book I recommend is written by David Emerald, and it's called The Power of Ted. Um, the Ted being the empowerment dynamic. So where I was talking about um, in the Cartman Triangle, victim, persecutor, rescuer, Um, He would call that the dreaded drama triangle, uh, which is, you know, kind of useful. And it's in story form, but there is a workbook um, that you can get that is associated with it. Yep. Uh, It's really, really useful. It has a challenger role. It has a creator role. It has various roles and how we play them out. So uh, definitely recommend um reading that book okay great so that was the empowerment dynamic the power of ted is it yes that's it by david emerald david emerald okay thank you which easy to get online sorry pez easy to get online not so easy to get in bookstores okay so it's a bit like trying to buy andrew bolt's um autobiography in a brunswick bookstore down here in melbourne not so easy (laughs) to find okay (laughs) Let's move right along. Now, that topic there leaks into a little bit what we want to discuss today. And last uh, episode, you raised the idea, Roz, of our various communication styles. And you mentioned our thinking, our feeling and our knowing. And I thought that Eggy and I both thought, actually, that it would be a good topic to have a bit of a discussion about currently, given lots of stuff around the current climate, the dreaded C word going around the world and especially in Victoria again today, uh, this, this month and for the next five or six weeks. But let's touch on communication styles. We have a massive requirement for clear communication. We have um, our own personal styles of communication. 
do you want to just take us through what you brought up last time, Roz, around thinking, feeling, and knowing? How do you how do you describe our communication styles? Sure. So, I guess to start off, if you looked at a newborn baby, um, it's not born as a thinker, feeler, or knower. In fact, it's everything, right? Because it's going to learn about the world that it's coming into. But it's just a little bubble of love, really. So. When we look at adults and where they've come from that naught to seven, where they've learnt the world as it is to them, um, when we come as adults, it's often seen that if you're a thinker, that means you're really smart uh, and you've got everything worked out. Um, but if you start to go, well, that's actually a part of me, not the whole of me, I actually have a feeling, so we would call that heart, and a knowing, um, which is our gut feeling. And it's portrayed in many different ways, of course. So, Which we'll probably go through today in some sort of examples. I think that would be useful. Um, yeah. I think when I was first using this, it was uh, when I was coaching and using energy work with it. So it was very important that people got out of their head and just allowed the rest of their body to work with that. So people came out of that kind of session with, a feeling of wholeness rather than being the head on the stick. Um, and, and that wholeness is essentially around the, the way that they process and communicate and is it the way they prefer to, to, to have communication, sort of how they prefer to receive communication? Often. Um, if you're a strong thinker. Oh, no, well, so let me explain it this way. So mm. my feeling and knowing are, are about equal. My thinking was 22. So yeah. if people read that, out of 100. Go, oh, you're not very smart. Yes, yes. So they would go, you're not very smart. But it doesn't mean I don't have the ability to think. It means I get most of my information from feeling and knowing. Um, it means I don't like to study necessarily, <laughs> but, an <ex> <laughs> but an experience is much more beneficial to me than reading a book because an experience would give me depth, whereas the book would just give me information. Okay. So, so if you looked at your what you are in your thinking, feeling and knowing, it swaps around depending on what you're doing in your life, really. I think that's exactly right, Rosie. And what I've experienced is if it's something you know, are really familiar with and have done a lot, whatever it may be, you can have a tendency to whip into knowing quite quickly leaving everybody else behind because they don't know where that information came from. So, um, yeah, Pez, your question was... Give us some definite... For the listener out there who's sort of going, what in God's name are they talking about thinking, feeling and knowing? What would you, how would you define it? How would I define it is this. A knower will make decisions really quickly. And let's say you're in a group, they'll say, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing, don't argue, more or less. Mm -hmm drastic definition uh, and they're also fairly convinced that they're right <laughs> they are not always right so a thinker if you're in the room let's say you're in a, in a meeting and you're discussing a topic a thinker will need a bucket of data before they can make a decision and in the name of creating harmony in the meeting you more or less have to give it to them you can't keep on going on forever giving them information and data or whatever, but you have to give them enough so they're broadly satisfied. Same meeting, if a feeler is in that meeting, 
and you're discussing a topic, they may use a phrase like, this doesn't feel right. And they won't make a decision until they do feel right. And they might not mm. be able to articulate why they don't feel right. Given enough time, they certainly will be able to articulate that. But you imagine if you're in a room of accountants and someone said, that doesn't feel right, <laughs> they would simply say, well, that's absolutely idiotic. How could you say that? It's not data-driven. And it mm. is a really valid um, method of measuring what's happening. They just won't yeah. give you why it doesn't feel right immediately. That's all. Look, in, in these in these politically correct times, Eggy, I feel like you're um, you know typecasting accountants as, as you know data hungry thinkers. Uh, and you reckon I'm wrong? <laughs> I would have said engineers. No, no, bless the engineers as well. Now, but not to mention their buildings might fall down if um, if they're not correct, right? So data is important to them. You know, I think another thing too is if. If I was going to uh, say I was going to have lunch and in my head I thought I really should have the salad. In my feeling I want I want comfort food, so oh, but I really feel like hot chips. But in my knowing I know it has to be something between those two things so that that all my needs are met rather than just that I think I should. Because mm. as soon as I hear should, I'll just rebel, right? <laughs> Well, whenever Kaz and I get together in a cafe, Ros, we go, oh, we should behave ourselves until we see the cannoli and yeah. then it's game over. That's it. Same, I reckon, same. I reckon we've set a record in this podcast, Eggy. It's been, I reckon, eight or nine podcasts since the last mention of cannoli. So there you go. <laughs> we're, we're back. We are back. So can I just add something then to a bit of the definition around this stuff? So, And, and you've given us some good food for thought, both of you. I would also stress that that we do all three styles. All of us do all three. So whilst mm. we might use language of a thinker, a feeler, and a knower, um, what Eggy's referring to there is your primary um, exactly. processing yeah. and communication uh, preference or style. So we do do all three. And as Ros explained a bit earlier, it's about the order and the weighting that, that your style sort of lends itself to, which also, as she mentioned, um, can be contextually driven as well. So in certain circumstances where you are highly experienced and you're very confident and you've seen it all before, you probably will revert to a lot more of a knowing style where, like Eggy was saying, where you can be direct, you can be quick, you can make a quick decision, you can move on quickly. Um, mm. But if it's all new to you, um, then you might revert to your um, you know, default style, which could be anything. It could be primary feel where you're looking for the, you know, the pictures or the colour or the story yeah. or the, you know, the graph, as opposed to, um, you know, that example of the thinkers, the primary think people, which need a hell of a lot of data to be able to sort of press forward in any, in any way. So mm -hmm. I think that probably gives us a, a, enough of a, some definition just for the purposes of this podcast. Um, but what, what does this all mean? So what, how, how do we use an example currently, Egg, well, that, I was just gonna... that press, puts pressure on this? What, there's a lot of examples here which I could give you, and I may. I think what we need to discuss just really briefly right now is the context of think, feel, know is unity. So when everyone who are working together, let's say, because we talk about this is a business podcast after all, if they understand how everyone operates, it creates unity. It's when disrespect comes out that it's very unharmonious. So the context of this for people that are wondering is unity in the workplace. 
And you know, Pez, that we explored this a lot when we worked together. And we eventually did, well, it was probably quicker than eventually, understand where everyone was coming from. And we would just accommodate that. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 that unifying mm. aspect is that once you can pay respect, and, and that's the term, isn't it, really? When, when you can respect, uh, and when I'm coaching this, it, I always emphasise that good communication in organisations and teams is never is not so much knowing about how you like things. It's actually understanding how everyone else likes it. Um, mm. And because it's that respect. If you're only communicating the way that you like to communicate or to receive communication or to you know have enough to make a decision for yourself then as we've said with three different options and three you know and then and then variants thereof you could be pissing off 66% of your audience or you know two thirds of your audience may not be getting what they primarily need to enough to make a decision if you're only doing it in one way right on that point absolutely um, yeah Pez, that if, if you're doing a presentation, and you and I have done a lot of presentations, as you know, you should cover all three. Mm. You should. So you, mm. in fact, capture everyone. And really, you'd probably start with, there's a start, a middle, and a finish as well. Possibly, not necessarily into that right now. Yeah. But that's what you do. Now, you had a question for me before we got on this little rant, which was... <laughs> Are you going back to get me to remember the question? Uh, well, it doesn't matter if you can't. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe, look, maybe well, I did. Now, what I'll do now is this. Um, so, listeners, we thought, Pez and I thought it'd be really, if you can't tell, it'd be really interesting to tell you where we sit individually. Mm. So um, I'll discuss me first and then Pez can discuss himself. I would be primarily feel... Secondarily, I would be intuitively driven or knowing. And thirdly, I would be think. Now, this doesn't mean, as Rosie explained earlier, I can't do think, I can do think. It's just not my preferred place to go. You want me to discuss where you come from or do you want to do it yourself, Pez? Why don't you do it? I will. So Pez is no first or intuition, uh, think second, feel third. No. So you might wonder. Wrong way. Wrong okay. way around. Okay. You feel, feel second, think third. Okay. So this is really good. So hang on, hang on. Just make that clear again, Chris. Because I, what I, the question I would ask for both of you is, so how does that, when you're presenting something together and you both have um, different strengths, what I'd like to hear is how that plays out for you in terms of supporting each other in that process of getting That's a message just about, across. That was where I was about to go with that, Rosie, right there, mm-hmm. on the end of that, in that mm-hmm. while ever there's respect and trust, it works out really well because Pez can make a decision fairly quickly, whereas I have to feel my way through it. So, so Pez is primary no. No, no, no yeah. feel think. Okay. okay, no feel think. You okay. make, make a decision quite quickly and I can say, hmm, not sure how I feel about this or what I'm feeling about it, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Secondary driver, he can tap into that quite readily. Um, and he'll go, okay, well, let's talk about that. And we do. And cause intuition or knowing is my secondary driver, so close to the first, but the second one, we can get to a place pretty quickly with each other. In fact, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Without any detail whatsoever. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you've just anesthetized me. <laughs> but that, that's why we move on really quickly because we go, if we think about this any longer than what we're doing now, we are going to get into some sort of requirement to have facts and data. And that's, everyone knows that's, that's boring. Now, here's the thing. I know Pez is heavily into sport and I'm not. Mm-hmm. I can ask him for any detail on soccer, the current um, soccer that's being played around Australia. He'll have all the facts, the figures, the whole lot straight off the top of his head. Fair, Pez? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because I'm interested. Got it. There you go. So, okay, so then if you were doing a presentation, how do, so often in the female section of your audience, mm-hmm. they may not have such an interest in sport. So, you know, what, what would you do then? Well, in terms of then like doing analogies or anecdotes or things like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's the storytelling, isn't it? That it's the, it gets back to the yeah, it's get, it gets back to the storytelling and, and understanding and, and the simple framework that I always use is that um, if you look at the presentation format that I always use and, and we're all familiar with um, with a six step process that we use that has a think feel no overlay to it. It's it's hitting uh-huh. the it's hitting the the data driven aspects first. So things like setting yep. up your agenda, going into a lot of facts and figures about the topic that you're presenting on, you know, really creating that uh, broad-based information environment about this is what it's all about, and then progressing into more of the, uh, you know, the feeling and the energetic connection. So things like using pictures, graphs, stories, anecdotes, go to the audience, get some questions, get some feedback, get some energy around the topic that we're working with. And it's, it doesn't really rely on, on, on a particular, um, you know, grab bag of skills like, oh, I've got a million and one sporting anecdotes. It's mm-hmm. more about just making it relevant to the topic, um, but just making sure that you're <laughs> using that flow. Because the thing yeah. that I try and teach people is that as long as you're using the flow, that's all that matters. Don't worry about, don't get so hung up on making sure every bit of content gets covered that, that you can do because you're just going to bore people and you're going to stay in a thinking space the whole way through. Remember those mm. times when I you... I like what, that. Mm. What, boring? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the think, feel, no flow. Um, yeah. I like just, that. That's great. It's just stick to the flow because if, if you stick to the flow, you, what happens is energetically you become aligned to the flow as well. You go, okay, I've, I've, I've dealt my, my, my information and data. Now let's deal in a bit of... Um, energetic connection with the people that are driven by that but but if you stay in the flow what happens is you straighten yourself up as well as your audience start getting into the groove as well so what Mm. what happens is you energetically take the room with you regardless of what their style is or what they prefer because it'll all come Mm. out and then the Mm. knowing piece that that pops out at the end is that calmness around when you've pretty much covered everything that you wanted to cover and if you've stuck if you haven't sort of jumped from thinking to feeling and back and forth the whole way through and confused everyone energetically, you, the room will reach a nice knowing place where, where it's usually the question time or what do we do with this now or what are the options for the future or what's the offer that you're presenting, to, regardless of where you, where you want to take it. Um, just stick with the flow because we've all sat in those... You know, you know those boardroom presentations where someone was coming to present their latest bit of software or their investment yeah. platform they wanted you to invest in. They whip out the laptop and they straight away into slides and it's just, you know, 30 or 40 slides of information and data and 
blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, and they never even ask a question of the room. So this is where I, I feel that the think, feel, know um, overlay, not just about unifying teams and having respect for each other's communication styles. It's about how you really want to connect with your audience at a broader context, regardless of mm. whether it's in your business or, or outside of your business. Yeah. You might that remember does. that there is also the thing that you would overlay with the communication style, which is the energy curve, which follows that pretty follows exactly mm. what you just described, that you take people on an energetic ride. Yeah. Can't bump them into a place too early. And sometimes an uncomfortable place, that's got to come much later in your presentation or whatever you're doing. Secondly, uh, you mentioned PowerPoint. How many PowerPoints I've sat through some with you when the person's trying to sell you on something, they bring up the first slide and it's got about 4 million words on it and every slide there has the same number of slides and go, oh, my God. (laughs) I know. It's like, you know, there's a lady that has been emailing me and she's, you know, wants wants to set up a time to have a chat. But every time I open the email, all I see are words. There's, you know, like it, it's a, a page and a half of stuff and I just think, oh, I'll look at that later. I can't be bothered with that right <laughs> now. Because energetically, that's your third place you go, isn't it, thinking? Yeah, so yeah. You go, so, you know, you, you immediately have this adverse energetic reaction to that yeah because it, it sort of goes on to the oh if i if i get a chance pile. yeah yeah so yes that's what on happens that, on that rosie um this i had this discussion with um accountant shane who you know yeah gave us this massive document and i looked at i had to phone him back and say shane what do you not understand about the bullet point, the use of a bullet point in the front of a document. So I can look at all, I can look at all the big points really quickly and then work out where I want to go after that. Mm. But mm. over the head with all the detail up front because it, it just, it comatizes me. <laughs> it's <laughs> like you've got to put aside time to think. <laughs> and who wants to do that? I want to spend the Not time. me. <laughs> So giving mm. bullet points or giving the executive cover on the front of any document, that's giving the context. It's giving your audience the um, opportunity to know where they want to go to think. So they can scan down the points and go, ooh, I really want to know about that one. I think I'll go there and have a look at it first. I'm sorry if there's a little bit of background noise, but I think one of the neighbours in our lockdown scenario has decided to whip out the circular saw. So if you can hear... Cut out, cut out an extra window or an extra door. Yeah, maybe. So I might be, might be building a meth lab or something. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe if we give some... Well, I was just going to say, can we go to the dark side of this a little bit? Because I know we all like going there every now and then. Yeah. Why, because these particular styles, they do have um, the gifts that, that are attached to them, but they also have the judgment uh-huh. that gets attached to them. So how, do. How, how are our primary think friends judged in a, in a boardroom or a work scenario? I'll give you an example of that. Yeah. That I did a presentation. It wasn't a presentation. It was a work, workshop with about 30 architects, all who work for the same business. It's quite a large, large architectural firm. And I did it with a person you know. Mm-hmm. And he thought up and presented, he thought and presented the project plan on his feet, which was a pretty good effort. Yeah. And then when he was done, he turned to me and said, oh, oh that's good, that's done. 
and was about <laughs> to walk out of the room. So I had to <laughs> just pull him aside and say, have a look at the room. Have a look at the people in the room. They're like, they're twitching like the calamari that's just seen the hot plate. You think <laughs> anywhere and they're liking it so because i in that instance was by far and a long way the primary filler we did a little thing around the room and there was no way this was going to be implemented yeah at all well they had all the detail but they didn't have any emotional feelings attached to it because they'd just been given information all on their own level of thinking Exactly, and they hadn't had time to process. Mm. Mm. I think I was there for that one, actually, Eggy. I don't think you were. I wish to God you were. Seriously, I do wish to God you were. You could have have grounded the room energetically in an instant. Go go back to my thing. So really quickly, if we defer to the the primary knower in in the podcast, I'll just give it to you straight. How's this? Our thinking friends get judged for being slow and unable to move on and make decisions quickly. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. They always need more detail. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Our feeling friends, how do they get judged? They're, they're too just emotional. Yeah. They're, they're, they're too emotional. Yeah. Oh, you, you just, it doesn't feel right. Well, yeah, well, we're talking about facts, not feelings here, mate. So, you know, you better get on the program. This is what so, you get. Yeah. You often get, how is that relevant to what we're discussing? Yeah. Mm. So a complete disregard for the feeling uh, way yeah. of processing. And it's a bit of the hocus-pocus we spoke about last week, isn't yeah, it? It mm-hmm. is. And, and the knowing uh, friends, our primary no friends, get judged by being too arrogant, too headstrong, too short, mm-hmm. too sharp, too abrasive, you know, because they're, they're relatively confident in what they say. And, and as Eggy says, they might not always be right, but they'll, they'll get there quickly regardless. Mm. Um, so... That they then become the rubs on people. So it, you'll find that people listening to this will quickly understand those personas, whether, whether there's that negative energy around them. Sometimes it's about looking at your style and what are they really judging? Are they judging me or are they judging my style? Now, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it happens. Because yes. then the flip side that we have to connect to is then that's to say, well, then what's the gift in our thinking friends, our primary thinkers? The gift is that mm-hmm. they're, they're thorough. They, they yes. don't want to move on until they've, they've got the right amount of detail. They do want to explore all the avenues. They do need to get to the, the crux of the matters in a factual, um, analytical, data-driven way. I can tell you what the gift of our thinking, friends, is they can do an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point is they're all relevant. Like, you know, yeah. we need all parts of the whole. Yeah, which is the thinking, feeling, and knowing in order to make a great decision, don't we? Yeah, so that's that alignment piece, and then and yeah. then the, again, the the gift of of the primary field people is that they energetically connect with the with the gravity of a decision. So if yeah, it, they they can understand the the empathy side and how that will actually affect people, or or, or themselves, but just generally, how, how will this play out? How's that going to feel? What's going to happen here? Um, mm. And then the knowers, the gift of the knowers is that they will uh, arrive to a decision relatively quickly. They will use their experience. They're happy to draw on their intuition and they're happy to, as, as part of that flow, um, in a way, summarise everything that's gone before it and, and be able to come up with something really quickly. Mm. And that, that's why, you know, using all three of those in concert, and they're not necessarily three different people because, like I said before, we all do all three. 
Yeah. Then that's how you start aligning decisions, making sure yeah. you tick every box. As we discussed last week, Pez, I think a, a really relevant point for Noah's is, and it's something I've described, attributed to you in our last podcast, is that they have ability quite often to get to the context quite quickly. So let's look at then really quickly, as we like to bring it back to, to owner-operated businesses, how does all this play out? in owner-operated businesses? I mean, obviously people are smart enough to draw their own conclusions about communication styles and making sure we all understand each other's and our own. Um, but what's the first thing that, that leaders should be doing with their teams when it comes to that, that context of unity around communication? Is it looking at, at something like a diagnosis tool or just, and it doesn't have to be this particular um, framework. It can be any framework as long as it's consistent across your business. Well, I think um, I just this is a bit of a broad brush statement, and please um, disagree with me if you like. That a lot of owner-operated businesses are started by entrepreneurs, and by definition, they can often be knowers. Not necessarily, Iggy. No, not always. But I'll tell you what: of all the businesses I've worked in, they generally have a high knowing content. They might be yep. thinking next. Well, let's let's not generalise that right because i think in the current climate we were talking about goals like a lot of people have set goals going mm -hmm. forward into the future um whereas in the current climate there's no point having goals it's, it's about learning to stay in this moment make choices in this moment and tomorrow you might make a different choice so i think people i wonder how people are feeling that had all these goals and currently don't know what's going to be around the corner because none of us actually know it's it's an unknown so you know mm. i don't i so i don't necessarily agree that you know that they are all knowers but i do no, think no, I there's a certain amount of planning we just be clear i didn't say they all are no no, no no but even generalizing i think yeah 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 but it is a good point if we if we um, explore that a little bit, Roz, at the minute. And, and we yep. did have a podcast a few, a few podcasts ago about goal uh, setting and, and being too focused on, on using goals as a guide. Um, yeah. But to those people who are definitely goal-driven in this current climate, it makes it very, very yeah. difficult, doesn't it, to rationalise yeah. all this. And then if you yeah. overlay it again to say that maybe you're a, a primary thinker that has a lot of stuff really laid out and data-driven and justified and you know, proven and all this sort of stuff. Um, mm. Imagine what it would be like in, in this environment where you just, you, you don't know. Yeah. Well, they're lost. It would be completely frustrated. They feeling lost. Yeah. 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 And maybe overwhelmed and disillusioned. I mean, yeah. I know there's, there's an example of a couple of people I work with that are really, really struggling. Um, and they're both primary think in this current environment where they're really struggling with just the unknowns around, around the work scenario. Yeah. Whereas I wonder if, if to your point, Eggy, where you said that a lot of them are knowers, that that in itself would stump them a bit because they don't know what's going to happen around the corner. They might feel like it's going to be okay, but they won't know what that looks like. I think the magic thing is exactly what you just said is going it will be okay but i don't know what and that's about as far as i could go if i were a knower yeah, yeah. You know, warren buffett is the 
you know, the investment guy in the world, probably mm -hmm. the most successful, the most famous and really bloody good. And he said in an article recently in the Herald, he said, I have no idea what to do here. So we're not doing anything right now. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really good move. Yeah, it is. You know? Yeah. Like who's used to being, you know, who's making, who makes fabulous investments worth billions of dollars to say that is quite brave, I think. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Now, Pez, I don't believe these words are about to come off my lips, but they are. <laughs> Can you give a sporting analogy in your chosen sport, <laughs> golf? <laughs> yeah. Uh, either a thinking, a knowing, or an intuitive situation, because uh, I will give one as well, just to even up the books a bit here. Would you want me to specifically go golf? You don't have to. You can go a sport. I'm going to oh. go a specific sport, but you go where you like. Yeah. Um, well, I think that one of the things that just struck me on the weekend, and and you know, th and this will probably help us lose a good chunk of our audience. What I say next, but I'm a Collingwood <laughs> supporter. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and whilst we're struggling along this season, there was a great example of, of moving from thinking to knowing um, in the last three minutes of the game last week. So there's a young chap by the name of Josh Dacos, who's the son of the great Peter Dacos, who's one of the great legends of the club. Um, he, kicked a, he kicked a freakish goal that essentially sealed the game for Collingwood last week against Sydney in the last couple of minutes of the game. Okay. Now, even after the game, he spoke about uh, what the coach and the team plan would have asked him to do in that situation. And his, and, and the typical thing that they're trained as robots these days, a lot of the professional sports people, is that he was supposed to centre the ball from the boundary line to a better position and blah, 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 blah. But what did he do? He, he picked up the ball, was in a scenario, was on a roll, and he just went straight to his intuition to have a shot at goal from the impossible angle and use a very high degree of difficulty and it went straight through the middle and won the game. Mm -hmm. and, mm. and I always think in moments in sport, when people are doing things just from this intuitive moment, that's when you see their true level of skill as to whether they're a very highly evolved um, athlete or whether they're just someone who gets by on their athletic ability and gets trained to play a certain role. And you, and you do need both. The same applies in business. You need people that are drilled and that can do the job. Then you need the people that will come in and be, whether they're the rainmakers or the presenters or the leaders or the, you know, the coaches or whatever they are in the business, where they, could, they add the herbs and spices that you don't necessarily find in a textbook. Really good example, Pez. And the thing mm. that I, the term I would use for that is there is they have to be able to pivot. You do love that term, pivoting. Well, it's true. <laughs> they have to go from the way they've been trained, not think about it. Yeah. And you so had an I'll, example. Yeah, I do. Um, if you didn't lose them with Collingwood, if you didn't lose a fair chunk of our audience with Collingwood, this probably will lose what's left. <laughs> As you know, I shoot quite a bit of clay target. And there's the people who's... Uh, and the clay target's got feathers? And do they, do they kind of... <laughs> They're actually not living yet. <laughs> so there's, the people that set the course have a real muck with your head. One target a lot of people miss. So you it, you see it in the sky for a long, long time before you feel like shooting it. So I won't just ask you the question, what do you think happens there when you can see it for a long time? You start thinking about it. Yeah, exactly what happens. You're going, you start you're, judging weather and yeah, what's and going, hot. Going, what's it going to do, blah, blah, blah. 
and you just watch everyone, me included, miss it. The opposite to that is sometimes they let a target go and you don't actually see it and you go, where is it, where is it? And then you see it and you go bang and you break it straight away. And that's because you've got around your thinking. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? And the, the thing that amazes me when you see the Olympic shooters is how quickly they cover the trap once it's released. Yeah. Mm. Like they cover mm. it straight away and you can't, there's no time to think. Yeah. Is there? But they just go, it gets released, bang, gone. In golf, which I don't play, but you do, so just sit with us for one second, Rosie. How much <laughs> of it is intuition and how much of it is looking at the slope of the land, the this, the that, the deer, the deer? It's it's so it's it's amazing. There is the golf is the is the a bastard of a sport to, to play. <laughs> it, it, and, and I keep trying to explain it to my mates, and that's why it's the I think it's the ultimate test of sport for for people because there is so much that stuffs around with your head that that you just to to navigate your way through it all just to perform the way you know you can perform is phenomenal then to even get better at it is harder again because like you say there's a million variables nearly every shot and i think the main thing is to get actually get to hit the ball really (laughs) there's that too (laughs) and there's that too because if you go if you've got a crappy swing or, or you, you're just not hand-eye coordination is no good or, or just suffering on a particular day or whatever it is, then, then you're going to suffer again anyway. So the, the more you're in your head um, playing golf, the more frustrated I think you can get because you try and rationalise every stroke into a scientific formula. Yeah. And, and if it doesn't come off like you expect it to come off, then does that disprove the formula? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So in... Clay target pairs, it's exactly the same as golf. It's identical other than I'm trying to stop a moving object and you're trying to get a stationary object moving. But <laughs> just that moment before you hit the ball, you switch off your thinking and yep. you just let it go. And you just let it go. Yeah. What a good place to finish up on, guys. We do have to move yeah. on. Yep. Yes, um, we do. I'll uh, bid you all farewell. Thanks for a lovely chat. Um, and we'll even include some stuff please again um, jump on our Facebook page to have a bit of a look around we'll promote this through our various LinkedIn and whatnot Um, but come back there give us a like uh, listen to the podcast and uh, we'll do it again sometime guys thank you